Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 22. Just going to read 22 and 23, but later in the sermon we'll go a little bit further all the way to verse 26. Here's what the Word has to say. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. So this morning I'm beginning a sermon series on resetting. In fact, the title is just simply that, Reset. And in the, in the weeks to come, um, I'll, I'll be talking about um, things in our life that may, may not be as they should be. Um, from time to time, it's, I think, good to take an assessment of your life and reset those things that um, have gotten out of place, out of kilter. And so in the weeks to come, I'm going to be preaching on things like Bible study and worship and, and uh, tithing and those sorts of things, on prayer and other spiritual disciplines. But before we begin with specific areas where we need to reset our lives, um, I, I think it is important that we start with an introductory word about grace. So that's why we're in Lamentations 3 this morning. Lamentations is not a book that you hear a lot of sermons on. In fact, as I was preparing uh, to preach for you today, I was just thinking, I don't know if I've heard, surely I have, over the last 45 years of my life, but I can't remember a sermon on Lamentations. It's not a book we tend to preach from much. It's not a book we tend to teach from much. It's a sad book. It's a depressing book. It's a book of mourning, of grief. It's not a word easily digested by the culture of positive affirmations that, and no judgment that we live in today. But I think it is a book that brings to us a very powerful testimony. The book was written by the prophet Jeremiah. He's expressing the bitterness that God's wrath has brought, the destruction that God's wrath has brought, the sadness over what has been lost because of Israel's sin. Much of the book are words of great despair, but not all. Because in the midst of some of the most despairing words in the entire book, come words of hope, words of anticipation of God's redemptiveness and God's restoration. To a people who have been brought low because of their sin, he writes of God's grace being new every morning. In the weeks to come, as I preach on specific areas where we need to reset, I am praying even now and have no doubt that as I do, God is going to bring conviction into our life. I believe as I preach on those things and we shine the light of God's truth into our lives, many of us are going to be convicted that we have abandoned things that we should have been doing and have filled our lives with things that we ought not to have done. We, we, we've given up studying the Word for studying things of temporary, worthless nature. We've We've abdicated the opportunity to be in God's house for worship for things that 
catch our attention and devour our time. We've spent our tithe on things of this world in all sorts of areas of our life. I'm convinced as we preach those things, as we look at God's Word, there will be moments of conviction. And so knowing that, I think it is important that before we deal with them, we first um, look to a word of God's grace. Because whenever God brings conviction in our life, it is never singularly for the purpose of bringing us low with conviction. That's never the, inten- the ultimate intention of God's conviction in our life. It is always that we might be aware of our sin, that we might repent, so that we can return to a right relationship with him. And so this morning I want us to consider what it means that God's grace, his loving kindness, his compassions never fail. They never stop and that his grace is new every morning. Here's how we're going to divide our time. Number one, grace through it all. No matter what your story is, no matter what your history is, the grace of God is through it all. Secondly, There is a present opportunity. What I mean by that is right now, this moment, there is a present opportunity to know and experience the grace of God. And then lastly, we're going to look into the verses just beyond this passage. And I I want to, 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 to draw our attention to the fact that Jeremiah says that in order to know this grace, our attention must be on the Lord. But let's begin with grace through it all. I, I see that in verse 22, where he writes, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, never stops, for his compassions are never, ever fail. His compassions never fail. Two things here. Number one, the grace of God never, ever runs out. The grace of God never, ever runs out. As part of my study, as I was preparing to preach this week, I read through the entire book of Lamentations in just one sitting. That's always a good thing to do when you're studying Scripture, particularly when you're studying a a small passage, because you want to understand the context in which the small passage rests. How does it relate to what came before and what came after? And so in one sitting, I just began reading with verse 1, chapter 1, read all the way through the book of Lamentations. And as I did, the weight of destruction, of shame, and of bitterness of sin was palatable. I mean, there are some passages in Lamentations that are unpleasant to read because they so vividly describe the bitterness, the shame, the brokenness of God's people because of sin. But like that green grass, that punctuates a field that's been scorched by fire, giving hope to a newness and fresh life. There are passages and lamentations that speak to the grace of God even in the midst of what seems like total destruction because of sin. There is a lie, friends, that Satan so often uses to discourage and dissuade you from turning to the Lord. Satan whispers in your ear, your sin is too great. He whispers in your ear, your rebellion has been too long. It's been too long. He whispers in your ear, in your ear you've used up too much of the grace of God. 
Jeremiah writes these words in the context of God's wrath and punishment over his people's rebellion. God's people had rejected the prophets that God sent to warn them, and they would not turn back from their sin. God was patient and long-suffering, years after years after years, but God's people abused his patience and continued living in sin. Jeremiah Jeremiah writes in verse uh, 1 through 19 of the bitterness and hardship of God's wrath. Just listen to a few excerpts here. Number 1, in verse 1 through 3, he says, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in the darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all day long. In verse 6, he says, In dark places he has made me dwell like those who have long been dead. In verse 15, he says, He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. Those are the images of a man who is knowing the bitterness of the, the destruction of sin. To understand our passage, you must understand the context in which it comes. These are not happy times. These are bitter times. Jeremiah is very clear that the bitterness and destruction of this moment is a direct consequence of sin. But in this dark moment, the prophet remembers. That's what he says in verse 20. He remembers, he recalls the loving kindness of the Lord. Here's the point. The point is that until the day of Jesus returns and the judgment comes, until that day, the grace of God never, ever runs out. It doesn't matter how long it's been since you've been faithful to the Lord. Some of you came to know Jesus as a high school student And there was a season there, maybe in high school, early college days, early career days, when you walk faithfully with the Lord. But somewhere between those early days and now, you've walked away. You've grown cold. You've allowed the things of the world to grow up in your life. And you think, is it too long? Is it too late? And Jeremiah writes, it is never too late. The grace of God never ceases. Does it really matter what you've done? You're sitting in your pew right now and you're thinking, what a great word for those other people who haven't done the wicked things that I've done. You're imagining that if, if it was known what you have done, that, that surely everyone would agree, well, that, that's right, you're, 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 you're out. You, you can't experience the grace of God. But Jeremiah writes, oh, no, his compassions never fail. It doesn't matter how great the consequence of your sin is. It may be that right now your life is full of bitterness because the consequence of your sin has come like crashing weight upon you. You've been brought down. You are shameful because of your sin. And you think, it's just too much. I'm too far gone. And Jeremiah writes, his grace is new every morning. God's grace never runs out And secondly, God's grace is never, ever forfeited. There's a second lie of Satan that I think needs to be mentioned here, and that is that somehow, if you've pleaded for the grace of God to be known in your life, that somehow, if you've done that too often, too much, that 
at this point in your life, you must have forfeited the grace of God. There are two things that are true about everybody in this room this morning. Number one, there are some things in your life that need to be reset. This sermon series doesn't come out of a special revelation that I know about you specifically. This sermon series comes out of a reality that I know about all of us, that all of us periodically need to, to reassess our lives and recognize areas that, that have gotten out of, out of way and need to be reset for the glory of God. So everyone in this room has, has things in their life that, are not, that, that need to be reset. But the second thing is, the reality is almost everybody in this room has had to reset those things already before in your life. And here is where Satan comes to discourage. You see, you've backslidden before. And you've returned to the Lord only now to find yourself backslidden again. And so the whisper in your lie is, you forfeited your opportunity. You've had prior moments where you recognize that things in your life were not as they should be and committed yourself to make them right. And now you find them out of place again, and Satan whispers in your ear, you forfeited your opportunity. And even now, as the Lord is stirring in your heart, Satan whispers in your ear, you've needed the grace of God too often. You've too often walked away from the Lord. You've too often pleaded for the compassion of the Lord. And this lie... This lie has a way of enslaving you, thinking that you have forfeited the compassion of God. It, it may be you've recognized that you, did, you need to read and study your Bible. You haven't studied and read your Bible enough, so you pledged to read through the Bible. You may have even made a plan, printed it out, put it in your, in your, on your office desk or on your uh, place where you get up in the morning. I'm going to read the Bible this year. And you did. And you started with Genesis 1. And you made it all the way to Genesis 2. And that was two and a half years ago. There's a reason why Genesis is the most well-read book of the Bible. Not so much the back half of Genesis, but the first half of Genesis. That may be you. In fact, that may not be the only time you've done that. Maybe you've decided and, and pledged yourself to read through Scripture multiple times and you've yet to finish. Maybe you've recognized that you've not been obedient with your tithe and so you pledged to, to the Lord that you're going to, to, to reorganize your budget and give no less than 10% to Jesus. But after a good start, the things of the world grew up. A refrigerator died. Somebody in your household needed braces. You wanted to go on vacation. You wanted to eat out more often. And all of a sudden, the money was gone. Maybe you recognized that you were not being faithful in your worship attendance, and so you pledged in your heart to be faithful to worship, even start going to Sunday school and anything else the church was doing. And you were, for all of two weeks, faithful. Sunday school and worship. But frankly, right now, it's been so long since you've been in Sunday school, the honest word is you're embarrassed to go back because you're thinking everybody there is going to wonder who you are because you've been gone for so long. If one of these scenarios describes you, then so often what keeps you from coming again to the Lord it's the lie that because you've come before to the Lord only to turn away again, that somehow you have forfeited the compassion and grace of God. Listen to me clearly. 
This is the word that the Lord declares. His loving kindness never ceases. It means it didn't stop. There's nothing you can do that can stop the loving kindness of God. His loving kindness never ceases and his compassions never fail. They never falter. They never wear out. They never get tired. It doesn't matter how many times you've come to the Lord. His compassion is as precious and as strong for you as the first time you came. You cannot forfeit the grace of God. Through your entire life, from beginning to end, there is grace through it all. Number two, we live in a present opportunity to know the grace of God. In verse 23, Jeremiah says, they, are, they meaning the compassions, the, the grace, the, the loving kindness of God, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. I think what he's communicating here is that the grace of God is ready, presently ready to be known. The image of verse 23 invokes of a fresh new morning, that sunrise, the, the newness, the freshness, the, the restarting kind of feel of a new day. Most mornings, I begin my run before the sun rises. I've always liked running before in the dark, pre-dawn. There's just something anticipatory about it. Now, a lot of times by the time I, I'm, I'm ending my run, the, the sun is beginning to come up and the day has started. I, I don't like running in the evening. And I don't like running after the sun has gone down. And you might say, what's the difference? It's the same level of darkness. As far as what you can see, it's the same reality. But for me, it's a mental reality in that when you run before daybreak, there's an anticipation of what is to come. Things are beginning. Things are starting. It's a new day. It's a fresh day. And there's something that invigorates me to run while the sun is coming across the horizon. This, in verse 23, is a hopeful word of opportunity that God's grace is ready to be known anew. There's the key part there. It's ready to be known anew, afresh. No matter what you did yesterday, His grace is new every morning. Somebody say amen. No matter how many times you have failed before, His grace is new every morning. Somebody say amen. No matter how many times before you have pleaded for the grace of God, Jeremiah says every morning his grace is fresh and new. Every morning the grace of God has, has, has a new, is new, meaning that every moment is a new opportunity to know the grace of God. Satan lies to discourage you from turning to the Lord and knowing his grace, but the prophet Jeremiah declares with hope that every morning... There's a new opportunity to come and know the grace of God. Dear friends, you nor me can do absolutely nothing about what happened yesterday. Your history may be shameful. Your history may be disappointing. I guarantee in all of your lives there are some things that if you could redo them and do them over, you would do them very differently. 
But that's just an academic discussion. There's nothing you and I can do about what happened yesterday, the day before that, or years before that. But you can know in this moment the grace of God. There's a present opportunity to come and know the grace of God. And I think implicit in that is an invitation to start again, to begin again. We, we order our lives around, around the rising and the setting of the sun. That's not by chance. I think that's part of the created order of God. We generally start and begin with the starting and beginning of a new day. There, there is something that we all appreciate that there is something fresh and new when you start a new day. Particularly if today has been a bad day, you look forward to hitting it again tomorrow. I think this is the image that the prophet is communicating, that the grace of God is an invitation to start again. To start again in your devotion. Let's be honest for just a moment. Can you remember in those early days after you came to know Jesus, how passionate you were for Jesus? Do you remember those days when you couldn't get enough of the Word of God? When being in worship was filling to your soul? When your friends and your family honestly wanted you to shut up talking about Jesus because you talked about him so much? And if you're honest, many of you, those days are a faint memory. Some of you, your Bibles are more paperweights than they are something that you use for daily sustenance. For many of you, worship is something you do when you have nothing else better to do. For many of you, your prayer life is something you do only when crisis comes, not as a daily part of your life. For many of you, you haven't shared Jesus with another soul in so long you can't remember when was the last time. I think that is the image that the prophet is communicating, that the grace of God is an invitation to start again with your devotion to the Lord. To start again with your obedience to his commands. To start again in your efforts to serve him. To start again in your relationship with Jesus. The loving kindness of God never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning, ready to be known for those who are willing to start, to reset, to start again. Now there's one other thing I want you to see out of this passage, and it comes in the, in the immediate verses that follow 22 and 23, and that is that our attention must be on the Lord. So it's, it's the key to understanding and knowing the grace of God. It requires our attention to be on the Lord. So let's read, if you will, 24, 25, and 26. If you have your Bibles, look back in them with me again. In verse 24, the prophet writes, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him, it is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. A couple of things here. Number one, for us to know the grace of God requires that we look to the Lord. The focus of the passage is the Lord, his righteousness, his grace, his power. In verses that, that follow the, the hope-filled words of 22 and 23, Jeremiah makes it clear that those who find their hope in the Lord do so by turning their attention to the Lord. 24 says, I hope in him. 
25 says the person who seeks him. 26 says wait silently on the Lord. Hear me very carefully. Resetting, devoting yourself again, turning to the Lord, knowing his grace anew is not about trying harder, working harder, or accomplishing something in your own strength. Resetting is about turning your attention away from yourself and to the Lord, to behold his grace, to behold his compassion, to behold his faithfulness. By looking to the Lord, we find hope. By looking to the Lord, we find true joy in seeking after him. By looking to the Lord, we find peace by waiting on him. And in so doing, we discover, we know, we experience the truth that God will provide for us. Jeremiah writes about waiting silently for the salvation of the Lord. It would not be immediate that God would save, but he would indeed redeem his people. He writes in verse 26, it is good. Underline that word in your Bible. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah says that we're to wait, and we're to wait silently. Now, when he says that we're to wait silently, he's not saying that we ought to be inactive. He's not saying you are to do nothing. What Jeremiah is saying is that we, he's talking about having faith that the Lord will provide meaning that we wait on God to act rather than attempting to do things ourselves. There's a franticness that comes in moments of crisis where we just need to do something. We want to do something to feel like we're affecting something, we're making something happening. And Jeremiah says, no, it is good for us to wait on the Lord, turning our attention on him, trusting that God will provide in his good time. And he says that we're to wait silently, I don't think he's saying it's wrong for us to speak. I certainly don't think he's saying it's wrong for us to pray. But what I do think he's saying is that we, we should wait silently rather than fret and complain about our situation. Nobody has to be taught how to fret and complain. Mm-hmm. We know how to do that intrinsically. Jeremiah says it's good for us to wait and to wait silently, trusting that God will provide. Instead of complaining and fretting, we turn our attention to him, knowing the grace of God requires that you put your trust in the Lord to provide. Knowing the compassion of God requires that you put your trust in the Lord to make a way for you. Turn your attention to the Lord and wait on him. I like to be organized. Come on. I like for things to be in their place and in their order. I do not like clutter. It, there is something that is a stressor to me about clutter. I'd rather throw it all away just to have a clean counter than to have clutter. Now, that's true about me, and I want, I want order and, and, and neatness in every area of my life. But the reality of it is, even though I desire that, even though that brings to me a level of peace when things are in order, every now and then, I, because just the, the franticness and the, on the ongoing uh, requirements of work and home life, every now and then I'll discover that my desk and my office just gets full of piles of paper here and there. They're not organized. 
I just haven't had time to work through them. In those piles are some very important papers, and in that file there's some stuff that needs to be thrown away. <laughs> in my storage room at, in, in, at my home, I like things neat and orderly, things put up, but every now and then it'll begin to get a little out of kilter, a little out of place, a little disorganized, and at some point it'll get so disorganized that you can't really walk in the room. You just stand at the door and reach in to put stuff in, and if you want something, it's better be something that's close to the door because you're not getting deep into the shells. Now, when those moments come and you realize that things have gotten so out of whack, those are moments where little bitty tweaks, small corrective decisions are not going to be enough to fix it. In those moments when disorder and dysfunction become so great that little efforts of tidying up are no longer effective. To get things back in order, it requires two things. It requires undivided attention and dramatic intensity. Now, for the storage room, it requires the um, undivided attention of an entire Saturday. Block it off, not going anywhere, not doing anything. We're gonna get the storage room in order. And it requires the dramatic intensity of hauling every piece of equipment and tool and thing that is in there out into the yard, into the the, uh, carport, and then putting it back as it should go, where it should go in its proper place. It'll take an entire day. For my desk, it requires the undivided attention of foregoing the, the other regular things that demand my attention. Blocking off time, saying I'm not doing other things. Today, I'm getting my office in, in order and in check. And it requires the dramatic um, effort of going through every last piece of paper. This is important. This is trash. Throwing away the trash and filing the important. If you found yourself in a place where your walk with the Lord is not what it should be, hear me carefully. It's going to require more than just a little tweak. It's going to require more than just tidying up. It'll require undivided attention and dramatic intensity. Here's the good news. The good news is that as you give your undivided attention to the Lord, devoting yourself to the Lord and the dramatic intensity to obeying God's commands, here's what you're going to discover. These words won't be just words. They'll be the precious testimony of your own heart. His loving kindness never ceases. His compassions never, never fail. They are new every day. 